This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. All right, if you have your Bibles and you're seeing Philippians chapter 4 there, I, I don't think I told you if you're new here, we're in, we're in the book of Philippians, um, which is uh, page, page 980 in my Bible, but it's you know, near, the, near the end of the New Testament, um, right in the, the epistles, um, go eat popcorn, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, uh, not sure what your acronym is, but that's how I remember it. Uh, and so Paul is writing a letter to the church in Philippi, and in chapter 4, he commands them, hey, if you are a Christian in Philippi, and, and if you are a Christian anywhere in the world reading this, rejoice in the Lord always. Right? Re- rejoice all the time. This time, yep, rejoice. Next time, yep, rejoice. Last time, yep, rejo- right, rejoice in the Lord always. In, in chapter 2, Verse 14, Paul has the audacity to say, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Like some people are going to be like, I don't know how to live anymore without grumbling. Like that's right. But the command of Paul to Christians is, hey, do all things, not some things, Not the things when I'm feeling up to it, not the things when it benefits me, not the things when people are being nice to me, not the things when I like it. Do all things without grumbling. It seems that Paul has an expectation for Christians that we would be a people of eternal optimism and hope and and rejoicing in all things. How do we do that? Like, how does that happen, Paul? Like, life is kind of miserable sometimes, and people are kind of sour sometimes, and, and I just don't like them all the time. I don't like me all the time, right? And, you know, it's, sometimes it's cloudy and gloomy, and I just want some sunshine, dadgummit, right? How do we rejoice all the time, all the time? In every circumstance, in everything, how do we rejoice? Uh, neuroscientists... Fun fact, if you ever just want to feel smart or sound smart, just like cite neuroscientists, right? It just sounds immediately like, oh my gosh, this guy knows what he's talking about. Neuroscientists say that joy is an inner feeling of pleasure and or satisfaction, right? Joy is an inner feeling of pleasure or satisfaction. That means that externally, it may not always feel great, but we can still have joy, satisfaction in it. I think about the lunatics known as marathon runners, right? There is something slightly off within a person that's like, I'm going to run for 26 miles and not stop. It's like, what? Why don't you just drive? You know, but like, I imagine most marathon runners don't finish and feel externally pleasurable, right? I run 26 feet. I'm like, my hips are a little achy right now, you know? And so, They may not feel externally pleasurable, but inwardly, they're incredibly satisfied, right? Why else would they go back and do it again? You know, there's many things that it's like, okay, I don't don't love this, but it's worth it. Like, I don't don't love doing this, but there's a satisfaction in it that makes it worth it. I don't don't love studying. Can I get an amen from every student out there and anybody that still studies for anything? I don't love studying, but what I'm studying for, amen, is worth it. Therefore, there's a joy in it. And so the secret for, for Paul, for you, for me, for the Philippians to living a life of, of eternal rejoicing hinges 
on what we believe will produce inward satisfaction and pleasure. What ultimately, inwardly satisfies us. What's going to bring us that joy inwardly? And does it have the potential, because his command is to rejoice always, to always be present? In order for that command to live a life of rejoicing always, we we have to determine, okay, what brings my inward satisfaction, and is it always possible for it to be present? Right, so if money is what brings me joy, well, then it has to always have the potential to be present, but the reality is someone could steal it from me. Right, the the, the market could crash. I I could lose it, which means the joy would, would come and go depending on if that circumstance happens to be met at that time, right? If, if comfort is what brings me joy and satisfaction, then I, I, I'm, depend, I'm, I'm linked to my joy rises and falls based on whether my circumstances are, are comfortable around me or not. But come on, we're all gonna have a stomach virus. Eh? Ain't nobody comfortable then, right? And so like, well, then joy can be fleeting. If, if what brings me joy is success, like accomplishing this, then that, then that, then that. Well, then joy is dependent on whether we have the mental faculties to always be successful. Let's hope we never have a stroke. Let's hope we never have an accident that hinders us from, from being able to climb that ladder. Right? So all of these other things, they're, they're fleeting. It's impossible to, to live out the command, the expectation of Paul, if what brings us joy is something that can be here one day and gone the next. That, that's, it's, it's going to fall apart at some point. And if that's what we have linked our hearts to to bring us joy, what happens when it crumbles? Anybody? I, I, you you want to say it, it was close. Right? If, if what we link our heart to to bring us joy has the potential to fall apart, guess who else has the potential to fall apart with it? Us. There it is. Come on. That's what I'm talking about, Cam. Us. And so in order to understand what Paul's talking about, we have to say, okay, what brings me satisfaction always has the potential to be there. What is it that Paul brings that brings Paul satisfaction that that he's going to command us to what I love about Paul is he doesn't just expect it from us but he models it first or he he lives it out first he says hey imitate me as I imitate Christ follow my lead and in so doing you'll actually be following the lead of Christ he he lives it out first so we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1 verses 12 through 26 and if you are able I'd love for you to stand with me as we read these verses together Philippians chapter 1 verses 12 through 26 as we read this I want I want you to be looking and say, okay, what is it for Paul that is the source of his eternal joy? Verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. 
Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. God, these are your words. They are not just someone's random thoughts put in a diary or a book sent to us. These are your words given to us through Paul, that we would know you, that we would know your desire for us, that we would know how to follow you and find life in you. As we, as we look at your word more, give us eyes to see what is true. Give us ears to hear your voice and hearts to believe and to follow. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Have a seat. So when you read it, did you, did you catch, did you see what it is for Paul that is his eternal source of inward joy and satisfaction? Did you catch it as we read in there? Look back at the uh, second part of verse 18. He says, yes, and I will rejoice For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul's aim in his life Whatever situation he's in, whatever circumstance he's in, whatever people are saying about him over there or however people are treating him here, his aim is that in every situation, with every thought, with every word, with every action, every day, every night, is to honor Christ. That what brings him joy and satisfaction is if he is living a life that that honors Christ. His ambition, you know, he's convinced that this will work out for his deliverance, but, but his deliverance, he doesn't say is released from prison, because he says, whether in life or in death, whether I'm executed in this prison or not, what his deliverance is, is that he will stay the course of honoring Christ even to the very end. And he's convinced that because of their prayers and because of the partnership of the Spirit, he will have the strength to live this life of always honoring Christ. And that is his source of rejoicing. Whether he's in prison or whether he's free, he can rejoice because he can honor Christ either in prison or on the streets as a free man. Whether there are people outside that are, that are encouraging him and on his team, or there are people outside that are trying to wound him and harm him and bring down his reputation, 
Doesn't matter. He can honor Christ either way. Therefore, he can rejoice. Whether he gets to live to a ripe old age and, and die peacefully in a rocking chair on a front porch or whether he's executed for his faith, doesn't matter. He can honor Christ either way. His, his goal is not to live a long life, to get married, to have grandkids, to, to go on trips and experience the world. His goal is to honor Christ. If he does that via kids, family, grandkids, great. If his life is cut short, he can rejoice in that too as long as he's able to honor Christ. Paul says that we are to rejoice always, and he tells us that we can do that if our source of joy and satisfaction has the potential to always be there no matter what. And Paul says, whether life or death or anything in between, to live for Christ, to honor Christ, I can always rejoice no matter what's happening. That's available for you and for me today is that we too can be people who always rejoice no matter the situation or the circumstance. How do we do that? We determine, like Paul, that to live is Christ. To live is to glorify and honor Christ with every moment, with every breath, with every circumstance, with everything happening around us. How can I leverage that to honor Christ? Therefore, I can rejoice in it. If this can be used to increase the name of Jesus, I can rejoice in it. I can find a deep inner satisfaction and pleasure because it, it moves the glory and the honor of Christ more. If we suffer, then we suffer well. Honoring Jesus, who suffered to the very end. If we have breath in our lungs, then we use every breath, whether we're in prison or, or in the hospital or at home free. We use every breath to speak the name and the beauty of Jesus if we have plenty, then we honor Christ and, and praising him and being generous with the plenty. If we are lacking, then we honor Christ and, and receiving and knowing that his provision is enough. If we have a thorn, a frustration in our soul that just won't seem to go away, we honor Christ by leaning into his strength to, to continue to honor him in spite of the thorn. So just think about your, your, your life today. Think about right here, right now. This exact moment where you're, you're sitting around with people and there's you're, someone talking from the Bible and there's someone, we can honor Christ here, now, today, which gives us a reason to rejoice. When we go from here and we're on the highway and someone cuts us off, right? Okay, we can honor Christ in, in our mental thoughts and hearts and how we, we you know, rejoice that man, there's people around here that we can pray for. You know, that, or, or if we go and we order food and they mess up our order, we can honor Christ in the way that we, you know, speak gently and kindly to someone that made a mistake or perhaps even rude. We can honor Christ in that so we can rejoice. When we go to work tomorrow or don't go to work, right, we can honor Christ wherever we are, whoever we're around, if we determine that every moment and every circumstance and every situation is, is meant to be leveraged to honor Christ, then we always have the possibility to rejoice because it's good. 
because there's a good that can be worked out of it. We can always make lemonade. If our hearts are set on honoring Christ in all things. Paul gives us, we see in his life, three uh, circumstances. Um, I call them case studies uh, of how he honors Christ in his life. In the first one from verses 12 through uh, 18, we see his present circumstances. And he says, you know, that we, we see that he, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What we know from context and from historical data is that what has happened to him is that Paul has been put in prison for continually speaking about the gospel, about Jesus. And so he's presently in jail. Right? That, I, I, don't, I don't think prison's ever been a great environment, ever. Right? So, so you're in an environment that's not so, your, your freedoms are cut off, right? You don't get to eat what you want to eat. You don't get to do what you want to do. You don't get to be around the people that you want to be around. And so he's in prison, and not only is he in prison, but there's a very real possibility that the court could decide he needs to die because of his proclamation of Jesus. I, I, I've never felt that. I've never been in a situation where if I don't stop talking about Jesus, I literally might be executed, Right, and so his friends, the Philippians, are worried. They're concerned. I mean, it's like if, Paul, if Charlie was in prison, right, and it's like, man, what's, okay, A, that's going to make me nervous. And they're like, well, he might need to be executed for that. I'm going to be a little anxious, right? I'm going to be a little worried. And Paul's like, hey, don't worry. Don't worry. It's okay. This has actually been used for good, right? There's a, there's a bright side. There's a lemonade in this pile of lemons that I'm in prison. What's the lemonade here, Paul? Well, I kind of have a captive audience around me that I get to tell about Jesus, but the whole Roman guard has now heard about the hope of Jesus. Right, this, is the, this is the pattern of Paul. In Acts 16, we, we read that the first, the first week when Paul was in Philippi. There was no church in Philippi yet. Right, they were proclaiming Jesus, and yet again, Paul gets arrested because he's, he healed some girl that was possessed by demons, and they're like, hey, dude, you're, you're jacking with our financial situation. Go to jail. Right And in Acts 16, this is where the Philippian church begins. It says in verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Right? Paul has this habit of going, okay, this is really a crummy situation, but here, here's what we can do with that. We can use this situation to, to tell people about Jesus. Like, we can use this situation to be a light in, I mean, they even have electricity, right? A dark place. And so what we see from that, right, the, the angel of God causes an earthquake, the prison doors fling open, the, the jailer's like, oh, shoot, I just lost all my prisoners. I'm done, grabs a sword to kill himself, and Paul and all the prisoners are like, hey, no, no, we're still here. How, how many times have you heard about a prison where the, the cells open up and everybody's like, no, hey, let's follow the rules. Let's do what we're supposed to do here. Everybody stay put. Right? Because Paul is leveraging him being in prison for good. He's, he's not wasting any moment or opportunity to point to the beauty and love of Jesus. And you've got prisoners staying put in a cell. And the jailer's like, something's different here. What is it? Paul's like, it's Jesus, right? Jesus changes everything. The jailer's like, I want to know Jesus. And the jailer and his family are part of the core team that starts a church that 12 years later is still happening, and Paul's in another jail cell, and he's like, hey, don't worry, we've been here before, boys. Right? Y'all know how this works. 
We're going to leverage this crummy situation for good, right? They want to lock me in here. They're going to have to hear me talk about Jesus. It's going to be midnight, and they're going to want to sleep, and we're going to be praying and singing. We're going to be having church in here. So you make lemons into lemonade. You see, okay, I can rejoice in this because no one can take that away from me. I can praise and reflect and honor Jesus because no one can take that away from me. They might kill me. It's okay, I can still honor Jesus, which gives us the source of eternal rejoicing. And so Paul's like, hey, man, the whole guard, right? So it says in verse 13, the whole imperial guard and the rest of those around have, have heard that this is for Jesus. There's something different here. What's different? Jesus. He changes everything. But not only that, he goes on and he says most of the brothers, the Roman Christians, have become confident in the Lord because of my imprisonment, because of my boldness. And now they're more bold and courageous to speak the name of Jesus without fear. Right? Paul's like, my imprisonment has, has fueled this fire among the other Christians. Right? How, how many of you have been more encouraged, more spurred on in your faith because someone else that was, was stronger in you? There's a few steps ahead of you. Anybody else? Had a mentor in college. Go raise them high. Let's, let's just see. Let's see. Had a mentor in college. His name was Matthew, who was just bold in sharing the faith. And it encouraged me. Be like, well, this guy can do it. Right? I, I can do it too. Right? So sometimes, right, our suffering and our reflecting Christ even in that is the encouragement, is the fire, the spark plug to other people's faith. I, I say this all the time, y'all. It's in the scripture everywhere. Your presence matters. Right? You being here and living your life for Jesus at all times and all places matters. You never know the person whose faith is encouraged because you were bold enough to live it out. You never know the person who walks into a Sunday and had zero expectations and hopes of it. There was their last, you know, string straw, what is it? You know, their last thing, and they're like, I want to try this thing out, and they meet you, and they see you, and they're like, something's different about this person, and it's that spark in their own life. And Paul's like, man, I can, I can leverage my life to encourage others around us, no matter what is happening, so I can rejoice, I'm in prison. Hey, it's okay. Don't worry about me. I'm, I'm building church here. We're doing church, y'all. It's okay. Because he's leveraging every opportunity to honor Christ. Therefore, he rejoices. I mean, Paul says, he's like, man, some, some preach Christ out of envy. Like, I, I, we don't really know the context of that, but, man, some are trying to, you know, build their stage by tearing his down. And Paul's like, are they preaching Jesus? I don't care. I don't, I don't care if, they're, if, if, my, if I'm being diminished as long as that people are finding Jesus. Paul's ambition, his life is set on the advance of Jesus. Everything, every moment, he's like, okay, how do I leverage this? How do I use this to advance the name of Jesus? And if that's happening, whatever it takes, I don't care. We've got to start asking ourselves, is, is, is that where we are? That I don't care. As long as the name of Jesus is advanced, then it's a win. That's Paul's ambition. The next situation we see is his current situation. Right? So that so that I mean, sorry, his his okay, well, if you get out of jail, his future situation. What now, Paul? 
What if, what if you die? What if they kill you? What if that's their determination? And, and what does Paul say? Look at the end of verse 20. He says, whether by life or by death, that Christ will be honored. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor, labor for me. Yet what do I choose? I don't know. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. What if they kill you, Paul? What then? I can honor Christ in my death. And let's be honest, that's a win for me. How can Paul honor Christ even if he's dead? If he's dead? How does he honor Christ in death? As we said, he's in prison. He's got some, some fellow Christians, we don't know, but they're they're seeking to attack and to tear down Paul's ministry at the increase of their own. He's got a possible death penalty. That's a lot of motivation to compromise, yeah? That's a lot of motivation to, to just kind of like try to find some gray room and, you know, give a little bit on, okay, are you really going to stand firm? I don't know, maybe not. Let me go. I'll break free and I'll, you know. Like, there's a lot of temptation there to compromise, this is, the, this is the aim of the devil. It's been the aim from the very, very, very beginning. It was the aim that the devil had with Jesus. Hey, Jesus, compromise. Right? Oh, you're hungry? We'll turn these rocks into food. Don't, don't depend on the provision of the Father. Hey, cast yourself down and call the angels to come rescue you. Right? Show your, your power, your dominance. Right? And this is the temptation of the devil was, was for Jesus to compromise to give just a little bit. But Jesus, by the, by the grace of God, stayed the course all the way to the very end. Even when he's praying in the garden, the night when he's arrested, and there is obviously a temptation. Father, can this cup pass? Can, can something else happen? You don't pray that prayer if there's not a part of you that wants something else to happen. Father, can something else happen? Nevertheless, your will, not my will, be done. And Jesus endured and stayed the course to the very end, even to the point of death. And so Paul, even if death can honor Christ, if he stays the course to the very end as Jesus did. Look, for us, I would venture to, to bet that our call is not to be killed for our faith. But our call is to stay the course in following Jesus all the way to our death. To, to never compromise to the right or to the left. So that when we die, we can die our last breath saying, I've honored Christ to the very end. He controlled my life to the very end. And that's how Paul can honor Christ in death. Paul also knows that, that in his death, if it comes to death, that it screams loudly to the, to the faithfulness, to the character, to who Jesus is. That in his death, if it comes there, it will proclaim loudly that Jesus is worth it. Do you, do you know why there's a church in Philippi? Why there's a church in Galatia or Ephesus at this time? Why Paul is even speaking the name of Jesus? Because in Acts 8, there was a man by the name of Stephen who would not compromise in his faith in Jesus and went to his complete death 
following after Jesus, and that sent a persecution in Jerusalem that spread Christians to Judea and Samaria and Philippi and Galatia and Ephesus and Corinth and Thessalonica. The reason there are churches there is because there was a person by the name of Stephen who died for his faith. A second century Christian father, Tertullian, said the blood of the martyrs is the seed for the church. Paul knew that in death, life spreads. And so he could honor Jesus even in death. Because in following Christ to the very end, it would spread the seed that Jesus is worth it and the church will grow. And so Paul says, whether life or death, I honor Christ. He also says to die is gain. He's like, man, it's better for me, y'all, be honest. How incredible must heaven be if he's like, hey, can I please have death? Like, I'm ready to go. It's his gain. He's no longer fighting. He's no longer striving. He's no longer working to stay the course. He's there. He's arrived. He's finished the race. And so he's like, whether I, I live or die, man, death is my gain. That's kind of what I want, honestly. Let's go home. Let's feast for eternity. And so Paul's like, man, if, if I die... It's okay, I'll honor Christ in my death. And really, it's to my gain. It's worth it. But, but what if you live, Paul? I mean, he, he says in here, right, that he's, he's confident in verse 25. He says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you. All right? He's confident that, that God's going to bring him out of prison. He's confident that, that this isn't going to be his, his end. Okay, so how do you honor Christ in the rest of your life, right? This is, this is us. I'm, I'm, I'm fairly confident today's not our last day. I'm just going to go on a limb, right? So, okay, how do we honor Christ with the rest of our life then, Paul? What, what do we do? And he says, if I am to live, this is verse 22, that means fruitful labor for me. And then he goes on, and he says in 25, convinced of this, I know I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ. There's two things that Paul says he can do for the rest of his life that will honor Christ. One is that he will gain up fruitful labor for Jesus. And two, he can live his life for the progress and joy of others. He says that he gets to gain up fruitful righteousness, fruitful labor for Jesus. Remember his prayer in the, in the previous verses. He prays um, in verse 9 that the love of the Philippians would abound more and more. Right? That they would be filled more and more and more and more and more and more and more with the love of God. Why? Or with knowledge and all discernment, with wisdom. Why? So that they would approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus. Paul's praying for us, for the church, for Christians, that we would be filled up with the love of Jesus so that we could then live lives of love and thus prepare ourselves for the day of Christ, the day when we meet Jesus. We talked about how the day of Christ in the Bible was compared to a wedding. Right, that one day we're going to see Jesus face to face and he is our groom and we are his bride. 
And, and we talked about how for every wedding, the bride and the groom, right, they, they want to show up on the wedding day at their best, Right? They want to be looking their best. They want to have the best dress. They want to have the best food. They want to have the best music. Right? They want that day to be the absolute best. No one wants to stand up at the altar and present you know, their, their 50% best to their future spouse. Right? Come on. You, you, we got an engaged couple here. Right? You want to stand up there and blow. You want to be like, what's up? Here we are. Right? This is the best we have to offer. And Paul's saying that's the same that it is for the day of Jesus. We want to present to him the best that we can present. Not that he's not going to love us or that we don't have his righteousness, but man, he's my groom and I want to present to him the best. And so he prays that we would abound in love because as we give that love away, we are, we are preparing to give to Jesus a person that is filled with the fruit of that love that I've presented this gift of love. Like, here's my gift of love to you, Jesus. And so Paul says, for every moment that he gets to keep living, it is a moment to labor in love, to labor for the fruit of righteousness that he will present to Jesus. Y'all ever watch those, like, baking competitions? Anybody? You, yes, me too. Food Network, man, gives me right. So we, we, watch, uh, we watch like kids' baking championship. Well, they watch kids' baking championship a lot. I, I kind of catch it on the side, right? But I always feel like on those, man, there's, there's a clock, right? Or chopped, chopped, right? There's a clock that's counting down. And every time, man, they're just like, three. Now, maybe it's the editing. I don't know, right? It's like, three, two. And they're still like dripping sweat into their food and whatnot. And it's like, you know, step back. And all of them are like, man, like I just, just needed some more time. I could have like you know, wiped off the edge of the plate a little better, right? I could have, like, put some piping on this or whatnot. And, like, they're just like, man, I just want some more time to present this dish to the judges as beautiful as possible. When you're, when you're making, yeah. And so what he's thinking there with that is, okay, now I've got more time. Like, as long as God gives me more time, more minutes, more hours, more days, that's more time for me to prepare this gift that I get to give to Jesus on the day that I see him. It's more time for me to work for him, to labor for him, to present to him this beautiful life of a labor of love. And so we can rejoice with every day that we have, with every moment that we have, because, man, I'm getting to, to store up this labor of love for my king. And what is that labor of love, Paul says? For your progress and joy in the faith. The labor of love that, that honors Christ that stores up this gift that we get to give to King, to, to King Jesus is a life that labors for the progress and joy of others in their faith. As I was reading that, I started thinking, I was like, man, I want someone like Paul in my corner. Like, I want someone like Paul who's like, it is my joy to labor for your progress and joy in the faith. Right? Don't you? Don't you want someone like that that, like, all I want to give to Jesus is that I laid my life out for your progress and joy in the faith? What gets you jacked up, Paul? Man, watching them grow up in Jesus. You know, like, what, what, what stirs you up? What, what, what gives you joy inside watching these people grow in Jesus? Don't you want someone like that in your corner? Yeah, okay, th thank you, amen, yeah. Which then led me to my next question. You probably know where we're going with this, right? Am I that person to someone else? 
Right? I, want, I want Paul in my corner who's laboring for my progress and joy. I want someone who's concerned with my spiritual vitality. I want someone who's, who's doing all they can to make sure I'm growing in my faith, cheering me on. Come on, yes, keep going, you're doing it. I want people like that in my life. And, and so, do, so do you. Which unless we just want to live lives of narcissism, we have to then ask, Am I doing that for someone else? Is my joy laboring for your progress and joy in the faith? Is your joy laboring for, look to the person nearby, go ahead, look to them, see them. Do you get jacked in helping them grow up in faith? Is it your joy to, to help that person grow up in their faith? That opportunity is always available for us. It's always available. We have the potential for everlasting rejoicing if, if what we truly desire, what satisfies us, is honoring Christ in everything we do. What I just think is so kind about God is that he's like, hey, you know, you know this like, just record of sins where you're just ashamed and embarrassed and you hope no one ever has to find out about. Man, what's great about that is you can actually leverage that for someone else's progress and joy and faith, and then you can rejoice over that. You don't have to be ashamed that you're imperfect, that you're a, 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 tr- a jar of clay, that you've got cracks or, or, or chips, or man, that you just shattered for a stretch there. We can actually allow that to serve someone else's progress and joy in the faith, and then we can go, yes. There's no power that the enemy has over us in Christ if our heart is to honor Christ in all things. We can rejoice in any circumstance, in any situation, in any health or sickness, with money or poverty, with food or or hunger. I, I can rejoice in that if I leverage that to honor Christ because no one can take that away. It's always available. Not only does Paul command it, come on, we want to be those people. We do. The last question I ask because I don't know where you're coming from, I don't know what your story of faith is, is why would I want to devote my life to honoring Christ? Right? Why would I, whether I'm alive or dead, whether I'm in prison or free, whether I'm hungry or fed, why would I want to take everything and use it to honor Christ? That's a life of living for someone else. Sometimes... It seems like it'd be a lot more pleasurable to just seek my own joy and comfort and stuff and happiness, regardless of if, if it honors Christ, great. But if not, like, you know, why, why? Why give your whole life to honoring Jesus? I started wondering, would we even know what the word joy is if we don't also know sorrow? Right? Like, like. God created the world, and he created Adam and Eve, and his intention was for humanity to live in perfect communion with him forever. Psalm 1611 says, in his presence is the fullness of joy. Would we even know to call something joy if we didn't also know sorrow? Or would it just be like life, being? But we know something is joyful because today we know sorrow. 
We, we know the opposite. And the Bible says the reason you and I know sorrow is because we have all sinned and walked away from the fullness of joy in God's presence. We have all created and brought sorrow into our own lives. But the good news of the gospel is that by Jesus, we can be restored back to the presence of God, to the fullness of joy, and we can actually know joy again, not just today and not just tomorrow, but for an ever-increasing amount of joy. And so Paul, he, he says in, in 2 Corinthians 5, this is where I spent my, my solitude time yesterday, was 2 Corinthians, and he says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. That for our sake, verse 21, he made him, Jesus, to be sin. Even though he knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. According to the Bible, our only hope for joy, real joy, everlasting joy, is in the presence of God. Everything else, it might bring a moment of joy, but it will fade and leave us wanting more. They'll never fully satisfy. The only chance of full satisfaction is, is in his presence. And according to 2 Corinthians 5, according to what Paul has experienced, the only way to be in his presence is by the forgiveness of his sins through the death of Jesus. That, that in the death of Jesus, life was given. And so Paul knows that in the death of himself and honoring Jesus, that is where he will find life. It's only in Christ. It's only by faith in him. God doesn't need us to honor Christ. Christ isn't running low on honor. He has plenty of it from the Father through the Spirit. The call to honor Christ is a call for us to thrive and to actually live how we were created to live. in a relationship with him. That, that's what you're designed for. We're not designed for comfort. We're not designed for retirement. We're not designed for financial security. We're not designed for overeating good food. We're not, I'm not saying those, those things are necessarily all bad either. We're designed to use those to honor Christ. It's in the honoring of Christ that we find the joy in all of those things. And so Paul, just talking to the Philippians, he's like, hey, this is, it's okay. Whether I live or die, it's to his honor. And I can rejoice in that. And so can you. And so can I. Do we trust him? Do we, do we believe that he is the way of life? Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.